Father, we thank you that you are a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. And Lord, we confess uh, this morning that we so uh, rarely come into your presence. We so rarely give you the time that our hearts long to. We are often distant from you or ignore you. But Father, you've placed your spirit in us and this morning we recognise that we need you in our lives, that we long for more of you. And, and as we light that first candle of Advent this morning, remembering the faith and hope of the patriarchs, Lord, those that you called to live by faith and that, that they knew that one day you would fulfill your promises. We thank you, Father, for their faith and their hope and their obedience to your call. And we pray that we too may be like them, that our lives will be marked by that same faith and hope that what you have started in us and in this world through Jesus will be brought to completion. And as it looks like this week, uh, our country is about to send military into Syria and to join that conflict. I want us to spend time praying about that this morning. So, Lord, we lift Syria to you. We pray about that conflict and we pray... Um, for all those who have lost hope in this situation. We pray that you would meet them in their struggles, that you would make a way for the good news of Jesus to be shared, that they may discover the sure hope in Jesus that we all know. May they discover too that you are the God who not only knows their daily needs, but is able to provide for them in every way that they need. May they come to trust you and to see your provision. Lord, we pray that this conflict would end swiftly with justice and with peace. We pray for the peace, peace initiatives uh, to be urgent and successful. Father, we specifically want to lift the Christians who are under threat from the Islamic State fighters, both within and outside of Syria. Lord, will you fill them with peace? Will you provide for their daily needs? And will you equip them to be ministers of your love and grace and kindness to those around them? Would you strengthen them for each day and give them hope for a future? A future not just of you in their lives, but a future for Syria. We pray for governments and particularly for our government that they would be wise in their actions and their decisions. We pray that you would use the choices they make to aid peace and not to exacerbate the refugee crisis that we have. Turn our thoughts to the refugees and the migrants um, across Europe and the Middle East. Father, we thank you that today we live and worship you in relative safety. And while they have no place to call a home, we thank you for our homes and the comfort in which we live. While they queue in their thousands for the smallest of daily provisions, we thank you for the abundance that we have on our doorsteps. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember all of your blessings and to remember those in this world who desperately need just a fraction of what we have. Lord, we pray for those fleeing this conflict. We pray for safety and new life for them particularly for Christians who are being persecuted. May they know the comfort of Jesus and the courage to live as salt and light in this world. 
We pray for the aid uh, that is on its way to, um, to Syria and to the refugee camps. We pray um, for the countries that border Syria for effective and compassionate responses to the humanitarian crisis. And Lord, we want to pray uh, locally as well for, um, for the Guildford Borough Council, uh, the winter collection they had yesterday for the refugees. Uh, we pray that that would get safely to all the places it needs to go. We pray for the refugee families that are arriving in Guildford this December. We pray that their needs would be met. And Lord, we thank you that you're a God who's able to bring good out of the worst of situations. And we give thanks for the news via Sat7 that a Turkish church in Mardin, which is 30 kilometers from the Syrian border, uh, was closed 55 years ago and has now reopened with Kurdish, Turkish, and Syrian members who worship you together in unity. Father, we pray that your church would grow in the midst of this crisis and that your kingdom would come and that you would be glorified. Amen. And Chrissy, thank you so much. We have two readings today. The first is taken from um, the second book of Timothy, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 which in the Pew Bibles is page 1,195, and the large print Bibles, which are at the, above the cubby holes, is on page 1,888. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The second reading is in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. In the Pew Bibles, it's 1,083, and the large print Bibles, 1,726. 
John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Good morning. Are you all all right this morning? I grew up in a little house in New Zealand where we didn't have central heating, but we mainly heated the house with a log fire that lived in the middle of the house. And every evening when mum would light it, we would all gather round because it was the only warm place to be. And we would sit there and we would play our games and read our stories and listen to each other as we sat in front of the fire and as we stoked it. And um, I want to invite you this morning, if you can see me through the lectern, um, to come with me and sit in front of a fire. Um, Phil, if you could just drop the lights a bit. I'd like you just to imagine what it's like this morning to sit in front of a fire and to imagine that that fire is your faith. I wonder, as you look at it, is it roaring? Is it heating the whole house and warming those around you? Or is it just a little ember waiting for you to sit and blow it, to put kindling on it and to put logs on it? I wonder if you're thinking about faith and you think, well, I don't even have a fireplace, let alone a fire. What's this thing that we're talking about this morning? I just want you to think, what is your fireplace like? I want to look at this passage that we've just had read from Timothy. And I want particularly to look at that verse. Verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flames the gift that God has given you. I wonder what gifts you think that God has given you and how you're going to fan them into flames. I want to encourage you that the fire that we have is the fire of faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus. Faith in our Heavenly Father. Faith in the Holy Spirit. And it's a faith that doesn't disappoint us. It's exciting. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. We've been singing and hearing this morning about a God who is incredibly faithful. A God who never lets us go. No matter how hard the wind is howling around the house and the storm is blowing and uh, it's freezing cold in all the other rooms except for the room that the fire is in. No matter how hard it seems, God is there and he is faithful. As we look at faith in the Bible, there are all sorts of different images that confront us. We hear about Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, And I I love that idea that Jesus is the perfecter of my faith, that where my faith is insignificant and not good enough, that Jesus gives me the faith that I need. 
I love the idea that Jesus is the author of my faith, that he tells the story and that I take part in it with him. I wonder what you think about faith as you come this morning. We're looking over the last few weeks, we've been looking at um, gifts of the Spirit. And we're finishing with this one this morning, with the gift of faith. This gift that we are given, that we might believe, that we might have confidence, that we might trust God in the midst of the storm for whatever comes before us. As I looked over the last couple of weeks at the gift of faith, I'm struck that the gift of faith never stands alone. The gift of faith sort of underpins and surrounds all of the other gifts that we've been looking at. The gift of faith gives us confidence. Paul talked in this passage about the struggles and the hardships that he is enduring. It seems to me that as our faith grows, it often grows in the context of real struggle whether that struggle at home, whether that struggle at work, whether that struggle in our friendships, whether that struggling to believe that God really is the God that he says he is. It seems to me that our faith grows in wrestling, in conflict, in having to grab hold of it and hold tightly to it. And it seems to me that our faith grows in the context of others. It grows as we hear stories of how God is faithful to people around us, as we hear stories through the Bible of how God has worked, as we hear stories about how God transformed Paul's life, as we hear through the book of Acts about the hardships and the perils and the challenges he faced and how faithful and constant God was in the face of all of those. It seems to me that our faith grows as we hear stories of the church of the church blossoming under persecution. As Toby prayed this morning, I was struck that we are in the middle of a situation where we may see the church grow enormously under persecution. We hear stories of faithful Christians in China and in Syria who grow in their faith when it seems the least likely. And as we hear those stories, it seems to me that that little ember of faith that we have grows and blossoms as if someone is putting kindling on it, as if someone is encouraging the flame. And this morning, what I wanted to do was, was really tell a couple of stories as we sit together by the fireside. I didn't want to do a great theological treatise about faith and how it impacts our lives, because actually the ways that I have grown in my faith have been as I've heard stories of brothers and sisters around the world and what God has done in their lives. So I wanted to start with a story that has really struck me this week. Uh, a number of years ago, some of you will remember, you sent a team of us out to South Africa on a mission trip. We went to work with street children in Durban, and I took um, a small group of people, I think there were about 12 of us, and we went together, and we ministered and loved and laughed with the street children of Durban. And in the middle of that trip, little did I know it, there was fanned into flame a real passion for the lost, for the broken, for the vulnerable. And it wasn't fanned in me, it was fanned in one of the people we took on the team. Um, I, I heard the story this week, I was reminded again of what had happened. 
that a small group of our team went out. Um, they just went among the slums to meet the children, to talk to them, to encourage them. And Tom was one of the members on our team, and he went out. And while he was there, he was chatting to a young guy who was about his age, around 20. And he said to him, what's life like? And he said, well, I'm really addicted to this drug. It's called Wonga. Before I get up in the morning, before I brush my teeth, before I get out of bed, before I, before I know about anything else, I'm just thinking, I want Wonga, and how am I going to get it? How am I going to get it? And as he was talking to this guy, his heart was breaking, because this guy's expectation for life was another two or three years. He had no hope that life would go beyond that. And as they were in this conversation, a beautiful, sleek Lexus pulled up into this real slum in the middle of Durban. And Tom asked, who's that? How do, how do they have the confidence to drive that kind of car into this kind of place? And the guy he was talking to said, oh, that's our drug dealer. That's the guy who sells me the drug that I can't think straight unless I've had it. And at that moment, God broke his heart in an extraordinary way. And he just thought, I can't live my life. I can't go back to Guildford, which is so comfortable and so lovely. And everyone is so nice. And see this happening on the other side of the world and not be changed by it. So when he went to university, um, he began to get together with other students and think, well, how do we do life differently? How do we change lives? And he realized that there's a huge number of organizations that want students to work uh, and, and to care about social injustice. And there are a huge number of students who care about social injustice, and there's no one really helping them to connect with each other. And so after the, over the last four or five years, Tom has begun to build an organization which campaigns among students, particularly among Christian students, that we would have the heart for the poor that God has. And it's not been easy, and it's been really challenging, and there's all sorts of challenges to come as they begin to try and work out how to be registered as a charity and, and how they're going to live when they're spending all their time doing this and they can't get jobs. But actually, in the middle of it, I've seen God bring this incredible gift, this incredible heart for social justice into one of the young people from our church. And what you don't know is that he is transforming the way that Christian students engage with social justice. And he may well begin a change in the way that students across our country engage with, with social justice. And for me, that's like a log on the fire. That's like looking at this and going, there is a God who can transform a very wealthy Guildford young man and transform the world through him because he's prepared to trust that God will do it. I don't know if any of you know how I ended up here. Um, I, I was training, looking at what it meant to serve God, and uh, came to the end of my three years training at Theological College and thought, I don't know what this looks like, but I probably should get a job um, because you know, I, I want to do this, but I don't know how. And as I was looking and praying, um, various options came up, and in the end I came here and I interviewed for this job as a student worker at St. Saviour's. And I had a bit of a wobble, because I thought, oh, that could be quite big, and I don't really know what that means. But I'd, I'd 
been invited with some friends of mine to help set up uh, a Christian conference in Europe. And I thought, I'll go there and, you know, maybe God will get me out of this. Maybe something different will happen. And while we were there, we were encouraged um, to break into small groups in one of the morning sessions and to listen to what God had for each one of us. Um, And I was in a group uh, with a couple of people from Belgium and I think a a Dutch person who I didn't know, I'd never met before. um, And they all said to me, I don't think this is really going to work. We've never really heard from God before. I thought, great, we're all reasonably in the same camp. Um, All of us are a bit nervous about this. Let's just see what happens. Um, and while we were praying, one of the women turned to me and she said, Joe, I've, I've had this really clear picture. Um, and I'm not going to tell any of you what it is. And I'll, I'll explain why in a minute. Um, I've had this really clear picture. And her picture basically involved me being a student evangelist. And I sat there and I was like, really? You've had a picture of me being a student evangelist. Do you know, has someone told you that I'm off to be a student worker in Guildford? And she said, no, I've I've literally never met you. I know nothing about you, um, but I guess that's from the Lord. And then then I came here and things were tough. And that picture for me really grew my faith that this was where God wanted me. Because I felt that he'd really spoken to me. That he wanted me here for some reason that is only known to him. That he wanted me here. And then about a year ago, I was having another wobble. Lord, do you want me to stay? Is this the right place for me? Shall I stay here or shall I go? And, and Bex was praying for me at one of our staff meetings. And she just said, Joe, I have this picture for you. It's a bit weird. I don't know if, you've, um, if you remember it. And she gave me exactly the same picture from an advert that had been around um, years ago. Exactly the same picture, almost word for word. And I thought, gosh... Maybe God does know me, and maybe he realizes I'm having a wobble, and maybe he realizes that I really need him to make clear that this is my call. Um, The reason I'm not going to tell you the picture is so that none of you can accidentally come up and share it with me later, Um, because I know that for me that picture is really significant, and if it comes again, that it will be from the Lord, and I don't want it to be from any of you, so uh, that's just a secret between me, God, Bex, and some Belgian woman. Um, But actually, for me, what was extraordinary was that God knew me and that he had a plan. And that built my faith. That was like putting another log on the fire. Um, And I just want to tell you one more little story. Um, I'll try and keep it brief. Um, I had the most amazing godmother. She was absolutely wonderful. A real artist, a creative. Um, she used to design textiles. And she lived this kind of wonderful bohemian life, only ever eating organic things, being super healthy, growing everything from scratch. And um, about six years ago, she was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. And she was told she had three months to live. Um, this seemed like the most outrageous thing in the world because she'd never smoked. She didn't even drink alcohol very much. You know, she was sort of the model of healthy living. She lived in the countryside in Devon and breathed fresh air all the time. How could she possibly have lung cancer in a way that was so devastating? And we walked with her. My parents are doctors, so they always get the first phone call when someone's had distressing news. We walked with her from day one. We prayed for her, we loved her. And two years after her diagnosis, Lucy passed away and went to be with the Lord. 
And the reason that I tell you this is not because she passed away and went to be with the Lord, but because of the extraordinary work that he did in her over those two years. As she got sicker and sicker and sicker, one of the biggest things that happened was she lost her voice completely. And you can imagine how hard that is for a mum to not be able to say anything to your children or to your family. And, and one of the things that they were praying for um, as she went to see the doctor was that her voice would come back because it just meant that she could communicate with the people around her as she was facing her death. And one day she was watching a worship video and um, in the sitting room with her girls and her voice just came back completely, utterly restored. And, and it was one of those things that doctors can't explain, but it felt in that moment like an incredible gift, an incredible gift. And as she progressed then towards her death, what we saw was her looking and longing for her going home. So it wasn't, it wasn't you know, when you're watching people die, sometimes it's, it's hopeless. Watching Lucy die was like watching someone come more alive. It was quite extraordinary because she was looking forward to going to be with Jesus who she loved. She used to go to worship events and they'd have a little mattress for her at the side so she could have a nap halfway through because she was physically deteriorating but spiritually alive. And that for me is like putting another massive log on the fire and saying, let's fan into flames that gift of faith that we have. And I want to encourage you, as you think about what it means to have faith, to look for the stories of where God is working, to ask for that gift of faith. If there's something that you're struggling with, why not ask him to speak into that, whether that's going to be through prophecy or through healing or through opening a door that seems shut. Or for, you know, if you have a passion burning inside you for social injustice or for worship or, or whatever it is, why not ask God to give you the faith to run after that, to grow that? What I'd like to do is, is to invite us to pray for each other, to pray for those, those things that we're longing for, whether it's healing or clarity from God about where he wants us to go. So I want to invite you this morning to be bold. Because actually in being bold, we're going to get answers from Jesus. I want to invite you to come forward if you want faith for something. It can be anything. It can be faith that Jesus will move in that meeting tomorrow. It can be faith that, that he might heal you from cancer. I want to invite you now to stand and come forwards if you want to receive a gift of faith. I want to ask the prayer ministry team to come up as well so we can all move together. If you just come to the front. We believe in a God who does miracles and who changes people's lives. So I'm going to ask Josh just to play quietly and we'll pray for you if you want to receive this gift.